0: So that's always tricky, but kind of what I realized was that there's like a, I call it the triad of hustling where there's like three parts, there's time, there's money and there's fun. And as long as like two of the three are being hit, if you're you're not spending much time, but you're having fun and you know, maybe not making that much money, that's kind of okay.
1: Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. But before we dig into today's guest, let me check in with my co-host, Justin.
1: What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. This weekend, I was really just taking advantage of the fact that Austin is in full-blown summer mode. I mean, we had days of like 95, two days in a row. We had plenty of upper 80s. So it was pool days, smoking brisket, getting the paddle boards out, just being outside enjoying summer. How about yourself? I
2: got my own little taste of summer. I actually took a plane ride down to visit my buddy Zach, who lives in North Carolina, on Thursday. Ended up getting home late Sunday. And yeah, it was, wasn't was quite 90s, but it was in the 80s. We went to the beach two of the days, hung out, went out, played some spike ball. It was just a, just a lot of fun weekend. And it's a lot better than the weather. As I'm recording this today, it was like 42 in Massachusetts. But that's enough about our lives. Justin, let's take a quick moment for our partner. Keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence. If you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called personal capital. If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data, it crunches all your assets, all your liabilities, and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month.
1: Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth, is just they look at it as a big burden and this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have these can be loans these can be 401ks these can be hsas bank accounts credit cards they're all linked there the other thing i really like about personal capital is it's very investing focused so you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio so you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account but your allocation as a person completely and if you want to use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at thefishow.com slash PC. That's thefishow.com slash PC. Cody, today we have on the show Jay Money, who I was super excited to have on the show because he's like one of the original voices in the personal finance space. Definitely one of the first people I came across that had a ton of transparency. And that's something I love doing with my personal blog and like as I do the monthly updates giving people something to look at and to have that kind of full story of where somebody started seeing the progress they make even if you're at a different point in your own journey like to me it's really motivating when it's that tangible like when you get to see the numbers that closely obviously we touched on a lot of things like some of his older projects some of the newer projects he's got going on with Motley Fool a lot of the giving that he does which is super awesome both past and present projects he's done what do you think about the episode
2: yeah, I had a ton of fun with this one, and I know who is going to have even more fun once this thing gets released is my mom, because she has been a fan of J Money for, man, it's got to be at least five or six years now. I remember she had told me about the website when I first discovered Financial Independence. This is a guy who's done 10 plus years in the space, which you don't find very often. But yeah, I was just really excited to kind of pick his brain. He's a really interesting guy. He has so many different projects going on, like you mentioned, from you know coin collecting to personal finance merch to a ton of stuff in the donation generosity field that I didn't really know too much about till I started digging in in preparation for the interview. Obviously, all the personal finance stuff he's done, he's been a huge influence in the space between Rockstar and Budgets and all the other sites he has going on. And if you listeners enjoyed this episode as much as we did, you can get to all those crazy projects, everything at our show notes at the slash jmoney. That's just the letter J, so J- M O N E Y J money.
0: It was all accidental, actually. I bought a house at the peak of the market in 2008, no money down, no uh, plan, no budget, nothing. It was just one of those spur of the moment things. Bought it, and then kind of realized I should probably pay attention to like all this stuff, you know. And I literally Googled like how to budget, or you know, first time homebuyer or something, and I came across all these blogs. I didn't even know what a blog was, but it was like diaries of people talking about money, you know, like their savings or debt and then like real life net worth numbers. And I'd never, ever seen anyone's real life money ever. And that like, I don't know, something about it was so exciting. Uh, I wanted to learn. It was so real. And after about five months reading other people's blogs, I was like, oh, I could, you know, I could type and blog and share my thoughts. So I just started a blog for fun. Didn't realize it was going to take off or, you know, become a thing. Um, so I'm i an accidental blogger, entrepreneur, no, no background in money, no finance, right? Like just a normal person that kind of got lucky and then, you know, paid attention and created my own luck from there.
1: So now you're like the king of this space, like the king of, you know, these blogs and and talking about money. So what were you doing, though, as like a profession when you just started like playing around with typing around? Like what was, how did you get here? Like what, what was the background?
0: <laughs> so probably I had maybe 25 30 different jobs and I'm 41 right now, so I'm pretty much a new job every year. Uh, my dad was in the military, so I'm used to moving and changing constantly. so it naturally became you know my career as well. Um, but I kind of settled in customer service because I love people. I love talking to people, kind of managing customer service departments and then kind of a couple of new startups at the, at the time. And that really kind of opened my eyes that like, oh, you can work for a company that there's only five people in, you know, like I wasn't used to that. I used to like corporations. So that was so different to me. And then when I became my own quote boss, it was interesting to see like how there's so many different jobs and ways you can work in the world. And it's not like one straight line, which a lot of us, you know, just think it is. Yeah, I kind of did a little of everything over the years.
2: When you did take that initial leap, did you have, I mean, how many different side hustle income streams did you have? Because we have have a lot of people listening and myself, Justin, and we all have blogs. A lot of people have tried blogging and it's not easy that that first year, those first couple of years to make an income that you'd feel comfortable, you know, replacing a full-time job. So, you know, did you have other things supplementing that at the time?
0: Um, So interestingly, um, I didn't mean to work for myself. Like I, I had the blog for fun. Then I realized you can make money and, and that was fine. I was making a couple hundred a month, probably after like my first year. And then I kind of stumbled across like someone, uh, another blogger that I liked said, Hey, I'm going to stop blogging. Do you want to buy my site? And I thought like, you could, like, you can't buy, you can't buy, it's not a company. Like, it's just a blog, it's your thoughts. Like, why well, don't we get to buy your thoughts? You know? But he's like, no, it's a small business that, you know, brought brings in, you know, 500 a month and X expenses you know, and we do a multiplier three years worth and we can try and sell it. And at first I said, no, no, no. Like that just seems like, you know, work. And um, I don't know. I just didn't, you know, again, I wasn't an entrepreneur at heart. About a month later, he's like, look, I'm moving overseas. Like he gave me some crazy deal for just like a few thousand dollars. I took a chance. I bought it. And that is really when my eyes kind of opened up because I realized just like in in real life, you can have online real estate. And so when an advertiser came in and said, Hey, I want to, You know, advertise on budgets are sexy. I said, great. If you advertise across this one and the other site I own, I'll give you a deal. So all of a sudden, I'm like, wow. If I buy more blogs, so I started buying buying up blogs. So I had about ten at one point, and and it was like a little mini empire. I only write and and talked about my blog. You know, so I started doing that. Um, I had a full time job, and then my full time job fired me, and I said, oh. Well, I've always wanted to see what it's like to blog for a living. <laughs> yeah. um, so I was two years in blogging, but then I also had like two or three other sites at the time. So my blog brought in income. The other two blogs or three bought an income. And then I had like freelancing every now and then. Um, but I think when I quit, I was making like 75,000 at my day job. And I think my blogs maybe were making 30,000, 40,000 a year. So half of it, you know, and and stupidly, I kind of didn't think like, oh, you know, like if I just blog full time, you know, like I'm not gonna be able to save money anymore because I had two jobs. I had two like full time jobs, right? And then I did it and I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm living the dream lifestyle, but now I'm saving nothing, you know? And so that was like the really shock for me. Luckily, like I could, you know, survive off of the 30 or 40,000 a year. So, anyways, I got a kick out the door, which forced me to do it. And then I told my wife, she was worried because she's more, you know, conservative. And I said, look, just give me a month. If it doesn't work, I'll go back to and try and get a job. And then every month and then eventually like, you know, you know, 12 years later, you know, here we are.
1: And when you're talking about having 10 websites at one time or however many it is, and you're trying to manage all those, like how deep did you get into it before you start having to bring other people in? Because I thought you said you're only writing for the ones. Like, how are you keeping like 10 websites going at the same time?
0: All the sites I bought, I tried to keep the original writer because most bloggers, all they like to do is write. We don't, we don't like to manage advertising. We don't like to do tech stuff. And we, we hate it and we suck at it. And so in a perfect world, the person wants to get paid to blog, but it's their own site. So so I you want to keep the person on. So I would pay them like as a freelancer. And then I would manage all the other stuff. And that worked with about half the sites. Other people are like, I'm just gone. Just give me a chunk of money and I'm out. And then I have to hire other freelancers. So it was basically an operation of like I had a tech person to help out a little bit. Um, and then I had a freelancer writer for one or all of the sites. And then it was just me. But but again, since it was my full time job and I lost 40 hours from the day job, you know, like I started working 60, 80 hours a week, you know, as mostly people hustlers do in the beginning. Um and I thought that was awesome. I had an empire, I wanted to grow, I was starting to get popular and I was like, oh rah, 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 me. And my wife was like, You have like no life. Like all you do is work. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm awesome and I'm making money and I'm doing this, right? But like it didn't occur until I started having kids a few years later. I was like, wow, this is like not like like a life. Like it's, it's you're successful in one area, but okay, like you can't even enjoy the success because you're just working all the time. You know, so from that point forward, I started scaling back and now my goal is to work half a day during the week, no nights, no weekends. And like that to me is like success.
2: And I know that's now, but did you start kind of putting systems in place back then? I'd love to hear like on a tactical level, because we have, do have a lot of small business owners, entrepreneurs who are doing the 60, 80 hour weeks. I've been there definitely. I mean, how do you, how do you chop that down without completely cannibalizing your businesses?
0: Yeah, it was really how I started when I realized, like I read a book called Essentialism by Greg McKeown or McCone. And basically in a nutshell, he's just like, figure out the stuff that's working, that you're good at, that you enjoy, like the 80%, you know, or the 20% that's good, but that like captures 80% of like all your, your success or whatever. Um, so when I started doing that, I started cutting out a lot of stuff that didn't matter. And I realized that I don't actually like owning blogs. Like there's nothing, like it's just like, it's like leadership and it's like management, but there's nothing, there's nothing else to it. So I started selling it off to free up time and I focused on the stuff that was the most important. And I also tried to figure out like the least amount of money I need for like my dream lifestyle. And once you do that, you know, hopefully you don't need as much, you know? So like, it was like a ma- it was a mind thing first to say, Hey, you're, you're okay. Not trying to be the biggest empire grower or have millions of dollars. And I said, yes, I'm okay. You know, I, I just want like an enjoyable lifestyle. Like that was my success thing. So once I figured with that and that took me years, I started going backwards. And then I decide no more nights and weekends. So I started cutting out nights first. And really when I cut out weekends like a handful of months later, it, you think that you don't have enough time, but your brain changes because then you're like on Friday, like I have to get everything done because I can't touch it till Monday, you know? And it's amazing. Like when you actually have to do it, magically you get it done, you know? And so that was really like crazy to me. And then you have that weekend to, to take a break and refresh. Like I would take naps and I would read And I would forget. And then come Monday, like you're so ready and excited and you miss it. If you love your work, you miss it after two days of not doing it. And so you are like a super hustler on Monday. And then it starts the whole thing again. So really, it's just like having a much more productive week. And then the rest like you enjoy in your body, you know, like it doesn't make sense. But once you tried, it really is like crazy.
1: And you could tell like you're very passionate about this. For the people who are like living under a rock and haven't read your stuff, what do you think makes like, J Money's voice unique? And what is like your your angle that people are following along for? Like, what do you think is the J Money brand?
0: From what I've been told, and this is why I tried the beginning, like A, I just want to be like a normal person. Again, I'm not an expert. I don't like wear a suit and tie and go to the bank. You know, like I have a mohawk, I have a crazy beard now. And I'm like the opposite of what a finance person looks like, you know? So that's step number one, like branding wise, if you could look differently, you know, that obviously helps. But really like being real and raw with numbers, like from day one, like once I knew net worth, was like the what drawn me into the community. I said I'm going to share my net worth publicly every single month and I did for like 11 or 12 years. So that helped cuz it's like, hey, you don't you don't have to like me or even trust me, but if you see the numbers and it keeps climbing, like obviously something here's working. So that helped. And then I try and be funny as much as I can. Sometimes I fail, and as I get older, my jokes aren't you know, I can't keep up with like the young funny jokes. But like finance is boring, you know, like it is at the end of the day. So unless you make it interesting or tell jokes or just, you know, tell stories, it's hard to get people, you know, to stick around. Uh, So that's what I do. I try to be enjoy. Like I want it to be like a coffee or a beer with someone talking about money in real life, no judging, you know, talk about whatever. And so that's kind of been my, you know, guiding light, you know, really through the the whole process.
2: Well, I'm going to say you've definitely been a masterful audience builder. And my mom Forced me to make sure that I said hi to J Money. She's log cabin Ruth. She's like, I've been following his blog for ten years. Like, you got to say hi for me. And yeah, so whatever awesome. you started doing, whether it was intentional or not, man, you are a masterful tactician at audience building. Is being real. Thank I think you. you've literally shared like every net worth update for how long? How long did you keep those up for?
0: I think it's it was twelve years straight, and then I sold the blog. <laughs> And you know it's funny in the beginning of the whole I was like I just want to be a millionaire that's exciting so I, I think when I started tracking it was around fifty thousand and it was just four hundred one k money and I was almost I was like twenty eight years old I think at the time and so for ten years you know it seems that now I'm a, quote a millionaire in net worth and it's like oh cool but I'm like if you look back it took me ten years like that's so long and you can see the progress and the downs and the ups and the downs and the ups but you know the tracking and even if you don't do it publicly. Does amazing for your money because you can see it, you know, and it changes you, right? Like when you're spending, you're like, I know this is going to reflect in my net worth report. Like I know it, you know, and so then you have to decide what's, what's more important, you know, high net worth or whatever it is you're buying. And, you know, there's no right or wrong answers, you know, at the end of the day, but, you know, it's like a a mentality thing.
1: So you just mentioned like kind of, you know, like the buying and selling of these blogs, like you, you've both bought them and sold them. And I know where I really started getting introduced to you was more through like Rockstar Finance. I don't know if you could talk a little bit about how that came together and then what led you to sell something like that, that I know across the community was like just a very beloved site.
0: Yeah. So initially the idea was like, I read finance sites a lot besides like, you know, my own. And so I thought, well, Hey, I should just share my favorite articles that I'm reading every day. And that's all it was. It was a purely share site where we just share. And then selfishly every now and then I'll throw in a budget star sexy article. Right. And then I can market myself for my own like separate company. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I did it and, and, and people liked it. And what I didn't, I failed to realize, which looking back, it's pretty obvious Like people love to share themselves, you know? So if I shared three articles every day, those people would then reshare it to their audience. And all of a sudden everyone knows Rockstar because everyone's sharing it when they're featured on it, you know? And so it's really a really cool ecosystem because all you're doing is promoting other people, then they're promoting it. And all the readers win because they're just seeing the best of the best every day and not having to scan, you know, I would scan 250 articles every single day. And even with my new project now allstarmoney.com it's it's basically the same thing of Rockstar Finance just different name at this point. We curate every day and I think now, you know, blogging has died a little bit over the years. So we're at about 200 articles a day. But I scan them, I pick what I think is my favorite or what my, the audience will like and I feature them. And, and that's it. You know, and the whole community wins. So it's been um, it was fun and and with that with Rockstar particularly, that was a super hard project to shut down or to sell. Because A, it's hard to sell something that's like going well. You know, usually if it's failing or something happens. But the sad thing is at the end of the day, I suck at monetization. And I, you know, I'd spend 20, 30 hours a week, traffic. Everyone knows that the branding was great, but I made no money. Like someone months I lost money. Um, and I had some people working and they paid and I didn't get paid. So that's always tricky. But kind of what I realized was that there's like a, I call it the triad of hustling, where there's like three parts there's time, there's money, and there's fun. And as long as like two of the three are being hit, if you're if you're not spending much time, but you're having fun and, you know, maybe not making that much money, that's kind of okay. But with me at the time, I was having fun, but I was making no money and it was taking way too much time. And I was about to have my third kid and I was like, that's it, you know? So that's what, you know, and so it's weird because I I fired myself from it and then I got all this free time and I got a chunk of money. And so it was kind of like, it's wow. Like I just like, Shave fifty percent of my time that I was spending, right? And going back to the lifestyle, that was an easy thing. And and one last thing with Rockstar Finance, which most entrepreneurs don't think about, most of us don't think about we're going to sell one day, right? But if you're building it to sell, that's fine. You build it to sell, you sell it, and you think about that person buying it, but you don't think about the next person buying it. So I was very careful who I sold it to because I wanted it to remain in the community. It did not be spammed and like you know crapped on. And the person that bought it did a fine job. You know, some people had problems, but anytime a new, you know, owner comes, that is. But then he sold it a year later, which I was not expecting. And when he sold it, the person that bought it, like tried to do stuff and then just literally shut it down after two months. And it's been dead for like four years. They bought it, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's dead. And so like, you don't think about this. But so when you sell something, you have to be okay no matter what happens. I've seen blogs shut down and then it turns into a porn site and all the links redirect. Because they're links, right? And links to gold online. You know what I'm saying? So when you sell you have to think, am I okay with this turning into a porn site? You know? And if not, maybe you don't sell it or maybe you do something different. You know what I'm saying? So these are like weird things that come up when you're offloading your project.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And and do you have people like reaching out being like, J Money, why why don't you turn Rockstar back on? Like, do they not get that you sold it?
0: Yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now it's been three years, so less. And because we started All-Star Money, so Motley Fool bought Budgets Are Sexy from me and said, hey, we really wish Rockstar Finance was around. Maybe we can build something similar. And so they hired me to build this new site. And it's a it's pretty much a duplicate of Rockstar. So now everyone's like, oh, cool. Like the, the curation's back, right? Like it's really, it was really warm welcome. We've only been around for about a month. But it reminds me too, because... You know, I curated years ago and now I'm curating again. And it's interesting to see the ecosystem change, who's blogging, who's not. You know, a lot of people are doing it for money. I mean, every other site I, I read is like, you know, how to start a blog to make money, buy this blogging course, right? Like affiliates, personal, like it's all the same stuff, which is fine. It's, you know, like, but it's not like blogging. It's like blogging for business. You know, it's a different mm-hmm. mentality. So um, and when anytime you are interested in starting a blog for money, just kind of have like your direction in the beginning or or starting a blog in general. Are you doing it for you? Are you doing it for money? Because I'll tell you, like when I did it for fun and accidentally made money, it's way different than if you're trying to make money, you got to do different things.
2: So, I mean, in that five minute span, we were just talking, you covered so many projects and that's (laughs) not even scraping the surface of the stuff you've done. I kind of want to take this to a little philosophical slash business owner mindset level. But I mean, how do you know when to start or when to quit something. I think those are two really important things as a business owner. And you yeah. have sold, you've started, you've stopped like so many different sites. Just looking on your website here, I mean, I can just, on your on your main page, I can see so many projects and some of them are dead, some of them are still going. I mean, how do you make the executive decision to give it the ax or give it all you got? We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth. One dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug-and-play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Now back to the show.
0: Yeah, I mean, the truth is it's hard, you know? And and really, like in a perfect world, like you get signs or you have gut feelings. Like, you know, people talk about guts a lot, which I think does come in play. But it really for me, it's always been like, what's the end goal? You know, and literally as soon as I realized it was lifestyle, that that it, it was so much easier to put things in perspective, right? Like, and so for me it's lifestyle for other people, it's like I want to be the number one expert in budgeting or the best financial speaker or the number one TikToker, like whatever, like whatever your goal is then. And it's simple and obvious, but then you start changing everything towards that. Another thing that I gave up that's still going strong was a podcast. Like you guys, I was was like, Oh, everyone's podcasting. This is like five years ago. I need to get into podcasting, right. That'll, that'll expand my empire. That'll make me bigger. Right. And I, and I partnered up with Paula Pant from afford anything. who's also very popular, very good. And we did it for a few months and she loved it and I hated it. And I thought our shows were good. Like we were different people, you know, girl, guy, like family, no family. Like we we're, it was different. You know, I was into stock. She was into real estate, but at the end of the day, and it was taken off. I think, I don't know when I left after like two months, it was like 500,000 downloads or it was, I don't know, it was really big. And now she's like millions and millions of downloads, like getting like, you know, huge people on the show. But at the end of the day, and that's what I asked myself, I was like, if this show gets like a million downloads a day, like would I still do it? Like, right. And the answer was no, like the more bigger it got, the least like I'll, the least happy it made me, which is crazy, you know, but I knew that about myself. So I told her, I said, I don't think I should go on. I feel like I'm holding the show back and she loves it. I was like, you just continue doing it if you want. And she did. And she's exploded, you know? And so again, it was like back to like my lifestyle. Like I didn't want to be connected online like all hours of the day you know and it, and it is a, you, you get obsessed you know and you get addicted and so i don't want to be i just i needed to like free myself and and i'm kind of a minimalist so that helped me mentally you know free myself
1: so like, you know, I can tell like where you're, you kind of, you jump into a project, then you maybe realize that you're getting a little out of whack on your work-life balance. And then you end up like kind of going back to a different kind of project. Like, you know, now you're setting up some new ones. Do you have any kind of envision for how you see like a, a more traditional retirement? Or do you think that your just brain can't handle not having some kind of project going on?
0: Um, yeah, I figured out that I like to be working on something every day for at least four or five hours. Now, what that something is doesn't really matter. Like it could be like, you know, building a house using my hands, or it could be reading for you know, or it could be building some. But I just need to be working on something for four hours, um, and then after that, like my productivity goes down, my enthusiasm goes down. So you know, I wake up at five early when it's everyone's quiet, and I work till around ten, and then the house gets crazy, and you know, life starts happening. But that to me was my sweet spot. You know, when I sold, I had a few months off, and it was fine. But like I just felt like yeah, I don't know, I was just lazy, and I just wasn't as excited about stuff, you know. Because most people that like reach some level of success, they don't usually just and and fire moving. That's why fire like it drives me crazy when people are like, oh, what are you gonna do, you know? Like when you retire, the people that retire so early are so like driven and and interested in things and in life that they always are working on something. They're not just gonna sit on the beach and or you know get fat and watch TV all day. Like that's just not their personality you know, like if you've reached that and same with me, it's not. So I think it, for me, it's just, hold on a second. Can I play on the Kindle? Yes. For five minutes. My boy's my <laughs> holding up a sign. Cause there's not, you know, a lot of talk, you know, like. When you, when daddy's <laughs> that's
2: why it's edited. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Keep it in too. It makes life interesting. Right. Yeah. So I think for me, I don't know I keep repeating lifestyle, but like, I just figured it out and I'm like, and it took me eight years to figure out that that's what I cared about. Um, and going back to your, your question earlier, really, which I probably didn't answer on, like, when do you start stuff? Like when I can't stop thinking about something or I think it's so cool and I'm like all this energy, like that's when I'm like, well, you should at least start it and put it out the door and then kind of see what happens. And if you do that, if it takes off, you keep writing it. And if not, you know, maybe you're like, okay, I'm going to pause it. And a good example of this is I, when I was waiting to start a new project. I kept seeing, actually, I'm wearing a hat, like hats and shirts from the financial community that talk about investing and like saving money. And I don't know, I just like fashion, but it was like financial fashion, you know? And I was like, oh, I have a brilliant idea. I'm going to do a curation site and all the best like financial hats and t-shirts. And I'm going to put it on. It's going to be awesome. And I I told like one of my best friends, he's like, it's so stupid. Just don't do it. You know? And I said, okay, yeah, that's stupid. Like, I'm not going to do it. But then, like I said, weeks went by, I just kept thinking about it, you know? Um, So I did. It's at pfswagger.com. And like, no one goes to it, like 20 people a day go to it, like no one. But for some reason it fulfills me. And I, every time I see something new once a month, I add something on the site. And so that's like a passion project. But if I wanted to one day spend more time, maybe it could be something, you know, but anyways, like that's how I work. And again, I'm not a true entrepreneur. It's all just like accidental go with the flow. Like that's kind of my mentality.
2: So, obviously, you're a money blogger, but you've talked a lot about lifestyle, and it seems like you've kind of found a purpose beyond money. And I'd love to talk a little bit about how giving and philanthropy kind of came into the equation, because I see you have multiple different philanthropic type projects going on. I mean, when did that start getting important, and when did you take it to the level where you're actually coordinating a fund or a project?
0: Yeah. So, the first couple of years, I was focused on me, 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 like trying to be a millionaire. And after a while, I think it like, Basically, for me, when I hit around three or 400,000 net worth, I kind of felt like I had enough. And I felt like, I don't know, I stopped thinking about money as much. And that's kind of when I really was like, well, like, what is the point of money? And like, what can I do besides talk about me all the time and, and work on me? And some years earlier, I've thought about on and off, but like for me, like something that helped was I had a partner that was really good at philanthropy, but he didn't talk about money and, and didn't enjoy it. And I enjoy it, but I wanted to be better about philanthropy and he wanted to be better about money. So we teamed up um, back in 2010 or 11, it's called Love Drop. And we said, well, let's just have people donate like a dollar two a month. Let's find people in our community that need help. And then we'll fly or drive out there, you know, pre COVID times, and we'll show up with all the money we raised and show the person, the people, like all your stuff you sent in, we can give it to the person. You could see what happened. Because for me, like I like giving back, but if I don't see the impact, I, it gets lost on me. You know, and it's hard for me to, to donate to bigger causes too, because, you, you know, there's so millions of dollars and you're just giving a little bit. Um, so for me, like the one-on-one direct personal help in philanthropy, I, I love. So we started that project. We helped 12 families in a year. One month, someone needed a car. Someone donated a Ford Mustang. We drove it and dropped it off to of them. You know, sometimes um, someone needed a couple of service dogs because they had some autistic kids. Service dogs, I guess, are really life-changing. So we raised money for that. Um, but it was fun, like little challenges every month to help someone and use all of our success online, all the connections to do something, you know, again, other than just for ourselves. And so that was kind of the start of it. And then over the years, and it was something I do personally, because again, I, I'm good at talking about money, helping people with money, but sometimes I'm about at physically giving money. So just like investing, I said, you know what, I'm going to just find causes I like, they have to be small, and they have to be someone I'm connected to. And I'm going to donate $20 a month. And so my goal is to have a hundred places that I'm donating twenty dollars a month to automatically, because then I don't think about it. And every month when I see the receipts, it it may honestly feels better than like when you get like Vanguard receipts of like, oh, here's how much your money went up, right? And it's it's weird because you're giving money away, but it just feels good. Um, and so I kind of had to use the same financial skills to force me to be better financially giving away than just you know myself. So that's something that that works for me at least.
1: Well, that's awesome. I mean, I think, I think it's one bad thing that sometimes in the personal finance community, people can look at it and cause you see people just talking about like their net worth's growing and it it can kind of look like hoarding money. But I think realistically, this community is very giving and there's lots of awesome examples of this. And so, yeah, that's, that's definitely awesome what you're doing. One thing that, uh, you know, I feel like I've noticed and as somebody like you, who, who's been blogging and had that online presence for a long time and, and have so many connections in this world. Like I know myself personally, I'm, I'm meeting so many more people who know the phrase fire, who, who, cool. who like, at least heard of early retirement. And I'm just curious, like how you've seen that play out, like how that feels to see the community grow so much. And like, if you've seen any kind of general changes in, in the community.
0: Yeah, um, I think since so, so when I started in 2008, there was just all like we were all for the most part personal finance in general, like there were some debt bloggers and some frugality bloggers. But then that was kind of it. And even going to the very first FinCon, there's only like a 100 of us that showed up from all around the world, but it was very small, you know, compared to FinCon a couple of years ago, when there was like two or 3000 people from bloggers to podcasters to Instagrammers to, you know, YouTubers, like just the financial media is a lot bigger now. But over the years, like minimalism movement started, then fire started. And so it's cool to see all the different, you know, niches and and different movements. So a lot has changed for real. I think now, unfortunately, a lot of pockets, like there's more pockets are starting to form and there's people as much as like, I would say our community is more positive than any other communities online, like politics, of course, obviously. Um, And even some like sports stuff, like people just get so like heated you know, and you can get heated about money, but like only so much, you know, and most people don't get that heated, but we do. So there are some headbutting in our stuff. And I find like when the headbutting is going on, you know, it's usually around the fire movement somehow, whether it's people hating on the fire movement or the fire movement trying to, you know, defend themselves. But overall, yes, I think the fire movement is awesome. A, it's helped me because again, I was just like, I just want a million dollars. Didn't matter if I needed to live off of or not. Like I, my mentality wasn't right. And I think fire, especially the fi, the financial independence, that's like really what your brain, like if you can get in your head like what financial independence means, you know, you don't have to think about the, the retirement part, right? Like that changes your life. You can retire or not retire or work or don't work. Like it's just your whole life is different if you're not caring about money or thinking about money. You know, and so ironically, you do have to think about money and for a long time, but then you cannot think about it, right? And think about more philanthropy and all this other stuff. And by the way, I have to thank you for bringing up philanthropy because I've been on, you know, I don't know, 100 podcasts in the last, you know, two, three years. And like only one other person has probably brought up philanthropy, which is crazy. we talk about money all the time. So thank you for for bringing that up. Um, But yes, fire. In my my opinion, it's awesome. Even if you don't believe in it or you're too far away from it, like at least gets people to think right? And again, finance is so boring. So the minute you say, hey, you can retire at like 25 or 30, you're going to pay attention about money at least for like five seconds, right? And this is a school. A lot of people say, oh, school needs to talk about personal finance more. That's why we're so illiterate. That's why we don't save in debt, right? That could be true. But I'll tell you as like a 13-year-old or 16-year-old in school and someone's like budgeting 101 and how to, you know, I remember like how to write a checkbook, you know, check. I did not give a crap about that, right? Like, that is boring. If you had a class like how to make a million dollars or how to be rich or just phrase it differently and you still teach me the same stupid stuff, like, I will then pay attention. So if we bring financial education more, great. Just make it interesting or honestly, like, it's not going to matter. And that's my opinion, you know. Um, But anyway, so fire like that to me, like, gets people talking. And that's the most important thing because now you're paying attention to your money.
2: So obviously, one of the huge tenets of FIRE is frugality. Or I mean, you built a blog for over a decade about budgets, you know, keeping yeah. your spending down and never spending more than you're earning. How had or how had or how did your spending change as you started to accumulate more wealth or more income every year? Because I know you mentioned when you quit that first job, you're making like 30 grand and you're like, oh, yeah, I could live on that. But obviously you started making more money as in the decades to come. Did the spending change? Did you get any of that lifestyle creep or did you stay true to those budgeting frugal roots?
0: Yeah, I would say a little of both. I stopped like when before blogging, I'd go shopping a lot when I was bored, I'd go to the mall, you know, and I think I calculated like I'd spend two or $300 a month on just like t-shirts and like whatever, like stuff I can't even remember. And so I started paying attention. Like I went on a no spend month, and I'm like, oh, wow, like I really like spend money aimlessly, you know, and then I stopped doing that. And so I would say to answer the question, I spend more like consciously and mindfully now. So I always think before I spend, which is a big change for me over the years. And I don't even like, yeah, I don't spend money on a lot of things, but probably when I do, like I collect coins and rare books sometimes. So I'll, I'll spend like nothing all week and then I'll buy like a coin for like $100 or two, $300. So I spend, I guess, extravagantly in the parts I care about, you know, and then I don't on the stuff that I, that I don't really, you know, care about. But I will say that my favorite thing, my favorite about having enough money where you don't have to worry is just literally like going to a restaurant and be like, what do I want to eat? And I don't care if it's McDonald's or a fancy restaurant. And then you see something you want to eat and you're like, I'm going to buy it. And you don't even look at the price tag because it doesn't matter because you just want to eat what you want to eat. Right. You know, and that to me is like so freeing when you don't have to worry and like tipping, right? Like I always worry. Oh, who's, how much I'm going to tip. I got to factor that in, or am I splitting it with friends? I got to factor that in. Oh, people are arguing, but to say like, I'm just going to give the money and I'm not going to think like, it's just so freeing. Right. Um, And so that is like my number one, like epiphany that I had. And again, that was around like three or $400,000 net worth where I started realizing I'm not looking at the price tag as much as like I used to.
2: I just had to make sure that uh, budgets were still sexy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I will tell you you this, I budgeted probably for five or six years of the blog. And then I stopped and I shared this on there. And so now I just track net worth because the budgeting, like it isn't like like I was just spending time, but it wasn't affecting me anymore because I'd already learned all the lessons I needed to learn. So now I just track net worth. And that to me is like an overall number where I could see generally how I'm doing or not. And it's a hell of a lot easier, right? Because you're just copying and pasting. So the beauty is for anyone that's sucking with money right now, once you figure it out, you can stop like tracking every penny if you want to. You know, You still spend more than you mean to if you don't track it. But again, that's like a nice perk of paying attention that you don't have to pay attention later.
1: So you're kind of speaking to my soul a little bit when you're talking about being able to go to a restaurant, like look at anything and just buy it. And not because it's what I do, but because that's something I still really struggle with. Like, no matter how much money I have, like I still struggle with spending money on certain things. Now, I mean, you know, like if it's like, hey, like I just went skiing last weekend, awesome. I'm gonna buy the passes, I'm gonna do it. But there's some of those little things where you have some choices and you still maybe don't give yourself exactly what you want because you're looking at the money. Did you ever have a point where you actually struggle to spend money, not to struggle to stop spending money.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, my wife particularly does. Like, she's always nervous about money, you know. And when you hit the million dollar mark, like, and the only people that know that are just people in our community because you know, online people like that stuff. But like, obviously, no one in the real world cares or asks me, so they have no idea. But when I, my wife's like, I don't know if I should like buy this as like five dollars more than something else. And sometimes I just tell her I'm like you're a millionaire, you save, you've been saving with me for like, you know, 15 years since we've known each other. Like now, now is the beauty, you don't have to do that, right? And so it takes a lot of reminding and groceries. She's a grocery shopper in her family, and our groceries we have three grown boys. They're like $200 a week, right? Which probably like would like get me kicked out of being a financial blogger, you know, because that's a lot of money. And she'd always like worry, worried. I'm like, look, you you hate grocery shopping. But you do it for the family, like just get whatever you need and don't look at the the price tag, right? And I've noticed that she's better at it now, like her mentality is like, okay, like I'm not going to worry about this, but then she worries about the big stuff, right? Obviously cars and houses, like we don't just go into like a Bentley dealership and say, oh, I can buy any car I want, you know, but I will say when you have enough money too, it's interesting to go to places and think I could buy anything in this store if I wanted to, but I choose not to. Like that—that that is also power. I remember being at Walmart one time and I was like, oh, what's the most expensive thing in this place, you know? And I don't know, it was like a bike or a, I don't know, a gun. I don't know, it was like $2,000. And I was like, oh, I could buy the most expensive thing in Walmart if I want to right now. And then you don't and you feel like you're saving even though it's fake saving, <laughs> right? But you're like, that it, it empowers you and it makes you feel more confident. It's not even a bragging thing or you don't even tell anyone. It's just like knowing internally that you could afford as much as you want but you're not going to do that because that doesn't fit with your lifestyle and goals.
2: Not keeping up with the Joneses. <laughs> the
0: Joneses are, get screwed. <laughs> if you <laughs> are the Joneses. So
2: something that you've talked about, I've heard you talk about on, I think, I don't remember what podcast it was. There's was a podcast I was listening to. I've seen you write about it as well. But imposter syndrome. And oh, this yeah. kind of goes hand in hand with keeping up with the Joneses, like never thinking you're good enough. There's always someone on the next pedestal that you're clawing to get at. Could you just talk a little bit about how you struggled with that and how you've at least coped or hopefully overcame it?
0: Yeah. Uh, Or
2: come as close as you can because I still struggle with it today for sure.
0: Yeah, well, I still struggle from imposter syndrome. and like even right now talking to you guys, I'm somewhat nervous, right? And thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have the answers or I don't know like what we're talking about, right? Like that freaks me out, you know? So even to this day, I still, you know, depending on the day, feel more confident than others. But I think knowing like I I made a list of all the stuff that I'm good at or in my kind of like my story online. And so I have a bullet points of everything that I've accomplished or that I'm proud of. And so i looking at that a lot, even before going on interviews helps, you know, raise my confidence and remind me about this stuff, which is helpful. So especially like I have ADHD, so I'm talking so fast and my brain is going a mile a minute. So like trying to remind myself what I was working on and how far I've come, like sometimes it's just a matter of forgetting. So the more you can like have these little tricks in play to say, Hey, you are not like, I still feel like I'm a beginning blogger and I've been doing it for 12 years, you know, but my mind is still, you know, it's just the way it is. And it's my personality. So like having those little tricks that I can refer to, like, okay, remember, you know, and I, and I also do like, anytime someone says something like, Oh, you're awesome. Like something, so love, you know, in general, I put it in a spreadsheet just called love. And then I also have one for hate because you get a lot of hate too. You know, and those are obviously everyone knows those, those sucks. Like those like rip you apart, you know, like, like no matter how good you are, like you just hate seeing that. But I keep both. And every now and then, if I'm feeling feisty, I'll reference them and remind myself like, okay, you're not so awesome. Right? Like, <laughs> you know, like people do hate on you, you know, and then the love, obviously, if I'm having a bad day, I'll refer to it like, okay, okay. Like this is like, yes, I'm doing, I'm on the right path. Right. And I think a lot of stuff, life, business, money, like you can tell when you're on the right path. And as long as you keep going on the right path, even if you feel like an imposter, like that's fine because you are following like your I don't know if there's like some Zen or I'm sure there's like a word for it where you're just like going with the flow. And then when stuff starts going bad, a lot of people say, keep pushing through. Like you're just can't, you know, overcome an obstacle, hustle through. I'm like, I think something's wrong here and I need to fix it because it was going so smooth. You know, and so I'm very in tune with emotions and feelings. So it depends on your personality for that. But but yeah, I'm nervous just talking to you two. Yeah, it's just part of life sometimes, you know.
1: Well, one thing you're definitely awesome at is creating some of these hilarious little spinoff websites. I I love this. I love this whyyourepoor.com. I feel like you (laughs) don't need to read hours and hours of books. Just go to that website, (laughs) uh, look at the landing page, and you're done. You've learned personal finance. That's right. And, and I know you've, you know, I know you've alluded to the new projects you've got with All-Star Money. Just curious yeah. as we start to wrap up the episode, like what are just some of the other current going projects? Because we've talked about a lot of stuff in the past and just trying to get a handle on what are your projects you got going on today.
0: Yeah, I've already I've already I'm like so minimalist and like like got rid of everything. I'll literally just have AllStarMoney.com. and then I have the PF swagger when I'm just like on the side for fun. Oh, I also have a coin blog but I only update it like once every year or every few months. Yeah, but all-star money. And again, for me, I don't know. I find as long as I have one main project and like maybe one side project, like that's like a good even split where when the main one is dragging me down, I can focus on the fun one. And, you know, if the big ones, you know, or, or vice versa, if the small one, you know, kind of sucks, at least I have the big one, right? And one of them usually is the one making money, you know, and you kind of have two mentalities in our space, like you have the ones that are like, hustle, hustle, like have a million side hustles and cash flow, And then you're starting to see a lot of people now that's like, hey, you don't have to be productive all the time. You don't have to hustle all the time. If you focus all the energy on your one job or your one project, imagine how much bigger it can grow and how successful you can be focusing, you know? People that build and stuff online, like we have a million ideas and you can have like 10 projects at the same time. And it's it's some people can juggle it, you know, it's, it's really hard to do. But I think kind of just going back to knowing yourself and knowing how your ideal situation is, if you're good at focusing and expanding mentally, you know, like go for it. If you like to have three or four to dabble in, like that's awesome too. Like whatever your, your stage. But right now for me, it's like the least amount of stuff I can own, the least amount of responsibilities, but capture like the best of like what I enjoy doing. And that's, what's crazy about all-star money. Like I don't own it. I helped build it from scratch and I have a business partner and a team, you know, from Motley Fool. But like when I think about like I'm literally getting paid and it's it's six figures or more, literally getting paid to read finance blogs and then share articles, my favorite. Like that's it in a nutshell. It's a, it's a crazy job if you think about it. Right. But like when I figured out what my dream job is, like that's pretty much it. Like less responsibility, you know, get paid and, and have, you know, the best of all the worlds, right? And it's taken me years to get this way and they can fire me, they can listen to this and be like, oh, that joker and fire me tomorrow, right? Like, who knows what can happen? But again, like figuring out what your dream is and then kind of working it to get over there like is, is the best case, you know? And I know that's not very specific, but I mean, that's the only thing that I know at least. So there's one more project
2: I did want to talk about, and first of all, before just a preface, it's awesome. I love Derek Sivers, and I saw that your now page was inspired by him, and kind of your ideology too. Like if if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. I yeah. I love that guy. He has a lot of like good one line quotes and just an awesome ideology philosophy to live by, right? Um, but so you're writing an autobiography to leave your kids. We have had a lot of people on here who are writing books in particular topics, like how to buy a rental property or you know, how to do this, how to do that. But an autobiography, I don't think we've had anyone who's <laughs> working on that type of project. What's kind of the inspiration for that?
0: Yeah. So I'm into history. I've been getting into history a lot and I'm into the last couple of years, probably because you know I'm getting near 40 and now I'm over, I think about death a lot. And like something I realized is like with books and back in the day, like people would print stuff and you can have stuff like with the internet, like if I were to die and then the hosting companies expired and all the sites went down, like there's nothing you can read about my thoughts, like my family, they don't have it. All my ideas are gone. And so I was like, when well, I had a break from my projects, I said, well, I want to leave something to my kids. Like, Hey, this is some of memories for you. This is like my life story. I'd love if my parents and my grandparents and everyone wrote like, even just like five pages on their life. Like I care about that a lot. No one else in the world cares about it, but it's super, I care about it, you know? And so that was kind of the mentality, like, let me get down on my thoughts while I have them, put them down. And then, you know, maybe every five years, like update it, you know, like with new things or like stuff that's changed mentality. I don't know. It's one of those things like leaving legacy. Like once you start thinking about that stuff, like what does legacy mean to you? You know, and, and I know for me, like while well, it'd be great for everyone in the world to know about J Money, you know, hundred years from now, like I just want to know at least my family knows me and then what can I do to help that. And and also with money, not with the autobiography, but with like having paper or a spreadsheet, like, hey, here's where all our accounts are. Like if something happens to me and, and mom, you know, like here's where everything is. Here's a house document, like everything about our financial lives. If someone needs to like help you like they have access to it and, and they know where everything is. Because when people die, you know, sometimes it, it's chaos, right? And the last thing you want to do is think about money. So not to bring it back to money, but that's another thing that's a good idea.
1: So Jay, one last thing I want to ask you about, because you you alluded to a little bit it was some of your passion stuff. And that is the coin collecting. Just real quick for people out there who may be nerding out with us on that. What is like the <laughs> coolest kind of coin that's got either it's the most rare, or it's got the coolest story behind it?
0: Oh, that's a great question. There was a nickel. It was called like a V nickel before, like um, like we have the nickel now, then there was like buffalo nickels before that. And before that, there was this thing called a V nickel that had a V in it. And there's two stories. One, there's, there's one year, like the year and where it was produced is what makes it rare. So if like there's only, you know, a hundred produced, they're going to be way more expensive, right? Because only a few remain. This one year, and I can't remember right now, uh, but there's only five. And so every one is if you have one is worth, I don't know, like two, three million dollars. But at some point, like there was a dealer that I don't know if he was showing off five or had three, something happened, or maybe just one, something happened where he got in a car accident and his briefcase full of coins like went everywhere you know, and the street and they recovered it. But like that one coin has been in a car accident. It's changed hands over the decades. Like, so like every coin, if you could have like a little history with it, like some of them like super fascinating, you know? And then there's also the same with the V-nickel. They're like, you know, silver material you know. But back in the day, it didn't say cents. It just said like like five or maybe it didn't say anything, but didn't have cents. And so, so like hooksters would gold plate it, So it it would say it was a $5 gold coin because it was so new. And so they'd pawn off these $5 gold coins when they're only worth five cents, you know, and eventually they caught on and that's called a a racketeer nickel. You know, when it's gold plated and you can scratch, you're like, Hey, you tricked me, right? It's like a a racket. So anyways, those are, those are the coins that I think are pretty interesting.
1: So Jay, for those, so we've covered a ton of material here. Where's the best place for people to actually like keep up with you or, or find your story?
0: oh yeah if you just go to jmoney.biz just the letter j money and then dot B-I-Z, that's kind of like my online resume and you can see the projects that I link to what I'm working on now you know and all that good stuff and then usually I just hang out on on Twitter I still have at budgets are sexy and that's like my social media of choice so hang out you know if you want to chat anytime you can email me you can find my contact at jmoney yeah if you want to talk about coins I help people liquidate coins like, I, like if you inherited a collection from your grandfather, like it is like, I don't know, like a dream. Like it's so stupid how exciting I get to see this bag of coins, right? Like you don't know what's in it. It could be millions of dollars or it could be like 10 cents worth, you know. But I help people go through an inventory. And then if they want to sell, I help. Um, if not, I, I give it back. But anyways, if anyone is always interested in coins or if they have something valuable, hit me up and I'd love to, to tell you. <laughs>
2: Awesome. Sounds good. Let's hope we have someone with the, the famous V nickel that got <laughs> flown God. out in the car accident.
0: <laughs> well, just want to thank
2: you again for coming on. This has been a real treat. I mean, definitely thank you from my mom, Log Cabin Ruth, and Yay. all of the hundreds of thousands of people that you've touched in the community. You have built many a websites and built quite the following. And I mean, I've been following your journey. I'd listened when you were on the money show back in the day. That's I was cool. an early fan of Budgets Are Sexy. So super cool to have you on the podcast, man.
1: And thanks for your time.
0: Yeah. Thanks to everyone. It was fun. And as always, if you want to check
1: out our Facebook group page, you can do so at com slash community. And we always appreciate those five star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefishow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.